0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode in PwC's A to Z of Tech podcast series. I'm one of your hosts, Louise Taggart. I'm joined by my co-host Treya today. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring N for nanotechnology.
1: Thank you, Louise. We have two really great guests today joining us. Um, Katie King, who is in her final year of a PhD in nanotechnology at Cambridge. Katie's also a TechSheCan ambassador, and Tariq Musa, who is joining us from PwC's Innovation and Sustainability team. Thank you so much, both of you, for being with us today.
0: Awesome. Thank you for those intros, Shreya. Um, Katie, if we turn to you first of all, could you explain to our listeners, as well as myself, exactly what nanotechnology is or what the term begins to encompass?
2: Yes, of course. And lovely to be here with you both, Louise and Shreya. So nanotechnology is a umbrella term for so many different areas of science. But what we're really talking about here is technology that's on the nanoscale. And nanoscale is basically uh, on the scale of a billionth of a meter. So we're talking really, really tiny here. Um, So that's anything... On the atomic or the molecular scale. So, what we're doing with nanotechnology is controlling matter on this atomic or molecular scale to actually make systems that we can use for a whole host of different uh, applications. And I know that kind of sounds a bit vague, like, oh, use in different applications, but it is because it's such a broad term. So, within nanotechnology, we can have nanomedicine, nanoelectronics nanomaterials, and then use in energy storage. So it really is a huge term, um, but it's it's very exciting science and I have to say I love it.
1: Thank you for that uh, definition, Katie. I think given that we can't really see it with our naked eye, where does your curiosity come from? How did you end up being involved in nanotechnology research? Yeah, great question. So
2: one of the things that I love about nanotechnology is that when you start looking at materials on a really, really tiny length scale, they start acting weird. They're just, you you get different phenomena that start occurring when you have something on such a small length scale. And so nanotechnology um, is all about trying to, like, use those weird behaviors um, and try and use it for your different applications. So um, I'm in an area which is nanomedicine. Um, And so that's only one of the many areas of nanotechnology. But what I'm really interested in is when the the way that you can actually um, manipulate materials to try and, for me, deliver drugs to cancer cells whilst avoiding healthy cells. So it's all about like targeted delivery that you need control. You need control on the molecular level in order to be able to bring about that effect.
1: Thanks, Katie. I think that's quite exciting to hear. Um, More generally speaking, are there some benefits of this type of technology then?
2: Yeah, nanotechnology is hugely beneficial and because it's actually quite a new field of science relatively. So we haven't actually reaped all of the benefits of it. Um, But what I would say is some of the some of the big benefits of nanotechnology is that we're basically making some tiny, tiny technologies that are, um, that respond to the environment that they're in. So you could, if you have something in the body, it could respond to the different pH change inside the body. So like the, the acidity levels inside uh, your body, which means that it would release drugs in the right place at the right time. Um, and you can also have things that are sensitive and to temperature or to pressure you pick your trigger you can then control materials that will bring about that application or do something when that trigger actually happens so it's really exciting to be able to make materials that respond to the environment that they're in and because it's all about how you can actually control these materials where as technologies increase to actually enable us to control and and manipulate matter on these levels, we're going to start seeing more and more benefits coming into play. It doesn't just have to be acidity. It could be temperature responsivity or pressure responsivity. But what it allows us to do is to build materials uh, that then react to their environment. So I really think we're just scratching the surface at the moment.
0: That sounds incredible, to be honest. It's something that I just have no concept of at all really so it's really insightful to be hearing about the the kind of the kind of work that you're doing um so you've mentioned obviously you're specializing and focusing on nanomedicine could you tell us a, a little bit more in detail about what this type of research focuses on and the kinds of benefits and applications we're going to be seeing out of it
2: yeah so with nanomedicine again it's lots of people work on various things in nanomedicine and um, I'll I can not say too much information about exactly what I'm working on but in general terms what we're trying to do is to make these nano materials or nano delivery systems that are able to detect cancer cells from within the body um, and say ah this is a cancer cell that's a healthy cell Hmm. gets to the cancer cell and then can deliver the drug directly to the cancer cell to, uh, to cause it to die. And by doing that, you actually really limit the amount of side effects that the patient will feel. So normally, with, with cancer treatment, you've put a really toxic drug, give a patient a really toxic drug, and it targets healthy cells as well as cancer cells. There's no sort of directed targeting that happens and um, which can lead people to feel really unwell because their healthy cells are also getting damaged not just the cancer cells so by using nanomedicine and creating something you can actually target the cells that you want to kill you can minimize the side effects and minimize the amount of the toxic drugs that you're actually giving to the patient so um that's one way with targeted delivery. Another thing that a lot of people work on is with uh, detection of cancer. So you, we can use nanotechnology to try and actually have early detection of different cancer types. Um, and that just means that you'll be able if you can detect it sooner, you can treat it sooner, which will give a higher chance of survival. So there are lots of different ways that nanomedicine is being used for cancer treatment.
0: That's true. Honestly, it's tr- it's truly incredible hearing about the the types of work that that you're involved in, um, and I think almost mind blowing to be honest. But are there that that's obviously a fairly a fairly niche application of this type of technology, nanotechnology? Are there any applications either in nanomedicine or more broadly of nanotechnology that our listeners might be familiar with in their own kind of day to day lives at all?
2: Oh my gosh, definitely. One of the most common uses of nanotechnology that you won't even realise is nanotechnology is in sunscreen. So sunscreen contains uh, titanium dioxide nanoparticles. So they're about 100 nanometers in size. And what they do is they actually absorb the harmful UVB radiation from the sun. So when you're on the beach and you're just slathering on your sunscreen, you're actually just putting loads of nanoparticles on your skin. And if it weren't for those nanoparticles, then we wouldn't be protected from that radiation and we just all get sunburned. So we have a lot to uh, thank those nanoparticles for to be honest Um, and then another one if any of you love uh, bikes and cycling then carbon nanotubes can often get put into bike frames to make them really strong for their weight so this is another way like in formula one nanotechnology gets used a lot for material science um, and also in high performance aircraft by controlling the atoms out on the of the materials that are being used, you can make some really strong and um responsive materials. So nano is even though it I'm in nanomedicine with talking about like really small delivery systems, it's actually just control of things on that level. So you can have bulk materials that are made up of nanotechnologies. But I'd say sunscreen is probably the most common.
0: I had no idea. I will definitely have much more respect for my um, everyday sunscreen in that case. Absolutely
1: fascinating. I didn't think sunscreen was nanotechnology either. <laughs> Thank you, Katie, for that. Um, do you think then, in in the near future, nanotechnology will start to become a little bit more commonplace in healthcare, specifically? I think so.
2: I mean, when it comes to healthcare, there are so many different steps that you have to get through from the sort of proof of concept research and development to actually being used uh, on patients. So it really, it might take quite a few years um, before we start seeing them in a much more common way. But things are definitely going that way because nanotechnology just holds so much promise um, for actually the things that you can use it for. But I think even if it's not in nanomedicine, then nanotechnology and its use in sort of green nanotechnology and um, on the sustainability side, that's where we'll start to see it as well. So it's a very interesting time.
1: Thank you, Katie. That's almost like a perfect segue to Tariq. Tariq, if we turn to you, we introduced you as PwC's innovation and sustainability team. Could you please tell us a little bit more about what your work compasses on a day-to-day basis and how you came to be involved with this work?
3: Thanks, Raya, and great to be on. For me personally, I've always been really interested in technology and really excited about how we can use tech for good. To set the scene a little bit, I like to think my team's work sits at this intersection of two really important trends. From one side, we've got technological disruption. We're in the midst of what's being called the fourth industrial revolution. Tech, whether it's AI, blockchain, or indeed nanotech, we're discussing today is advancing at a faster pace than we've ever seen it advance before, and that's significantly changing the shape of the economy. One interesting fact is if you look at the top 500 companies in the world right now, it's forecast that half of those are going to be replaced over the next decade with new companies. So massive change is going to happen over the coming decades. In parallel, we've also got massive environmental and social disruption going on. Scientists are telling us that we need to half greenhouse gas emissions in the next decade will cause irreparable harm to our planet. On the social side, we've seen, I think for quite a while, but definitely increasing over the last year or so, growing concern about human rights, anti-racism and sexism. So in our team, we work with governments, we work with major tech players, with investors, all kinds of clients to help them navigate that rapid change and steer their use of tech towards more positive outcomes. I think what we've seen from previous industrial revolutions is they've been good for the economy in many ways, but that's often come at the cost of doing damage to our planet. And we need to make sure that this industrial revolution is different.
1: Thank you, Tariq, for that introduction. It sounds like from your, from your uh, introductory speech that there are several examples of nanotechnology that we should look forward to. Is there anything specific that you're seeing that has been particular, of particular interest to you?
3: Yeah, definitely, there's quite a few examples. If we stick with environment for a moment, so society has got this task, which is to half greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 and reach what we're calling net zero emissions by 2050. And it's worth saying, but that's a monumental ask. I think that is the challenge of our time. There's going to need to be some large-scale restructuring of the economy to reach that. We're also going to need to find new and more efficient ways to do things. One of the things I've been quite interested in is this idea of marginal gains. For those who haven't heard of it before, this was something British Cycling were doing in the 2000s. The idea is not to worry about perfecting one thing, but to focus on how you can progress lots and lots of things. So if you can get just 1% improvement but in 100 different areas, that does really add up. For British Cycling, we saw that it led to massive success for the cycling team at successive Olympics. In sustainability, I think there's the opportunity to do something similar. If you look at solar energy, for example, solar is now the cheapest form of electricity in all of history. We don't necessarily need massive transformation there, but what if we could eke out a few percentage points efficiency? Nanotech has a role to play there, I think, and it has had a role in the past to get us to this point. If we can fiddle with materials on a molecular level, we can create technologies that reflect less and therefore absorb more sunlight and so you're increasing the efficiency of solar panels so nanotech is really driving efficiency gains there that said i do think we need to think about transformation and not just efficiency gains too so another thing we can look at is cooling air conditioners account for about seven percent of all emissions globally if we could find some way to make that more efficient that would make a massive difference this is a story i just found out this week did you know that thousands of years ago um, Persians were making ice in the middle of a the desert they didn't have freezers and the temperature in the desert never went below freezing so it's a bit of a mystery to me how they were doing this but there's a really interesting physical phenomenon going on so what they would do is they would pour water into shallow pools and basically the water radiates heat out but heat escapes into space and the temperature in space is of course absolute zero so the water would cool down of course there's always a trick The trick is here that it only works at night. During the daytime, the sun is shining, warming the water up, and it's not able to radiate enough heat out to reach freezing temperatures. So that was really interesting to me, that they were able to do this thousands of years ago. And while that's really interesting, I guess the question is, what do you do with that knowledge? I think for thousands of years, the answer was, not very much outside of the desert. But a cooling system that could work um, during the daytime, using the same principle would be really interesting. And what you really need for that is an object that absorbs almost no sunlight, but also is able to send out energy back to space. And that's exactly what scientists have been able to do with nanotechnology. If you can fiddle around on a molecular level, you can create this coating. And when you put on an object, it doesn't matter if you leave it outside in a blazing sun. When you pick it up, it'll be cold to the touch. That's really amazing. They've tried this out. The technology already works. They're just trying to get it cheaper now so they can deploy this at scale.
1: Thank you, Tariq. Those are definitely some thought-provoking examples there. Amazing. I have to say, I did not expect to be hearing about desert
0: ice as well as sun cream as part of this conversation. Um, so at that point, Katie, if we bring you back in, um, I'll start with a question to yourself. How do you see nanotechnology evolving or impacting us as the general public in the next five years or so?
2: Yeah, good question. So I'd say one of the areas that I think is very interesting with nanotechnology, and this, this is going to sound a little bit less field. Was actually in terms of data storage and how we, um, yeah, how we store our data. So at the moment, with data centers, they actually make a lot of heat, which requires a lot of cooling and a lot of air conditioning. So I think actually something like thirty-eight percent of the power that data centers use is just to keep the place cool. So just as Tariq was saying, with that air conditioning giving seven percent of, um, of emissions, it's 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 big environmental impact. So one place where nanotechnology is being used is to try and work out different ways of um storing data and are looking into actually using DNA to store digital data. So when I first read about this, I was just like, this sounds like some sort of sci-fi thing. like how are we storing?" Sort of books and and uh, pictures in DNA. It just doesn't seem to like, compute, for want of a better word. Um, but actually, this is happening. And uh, in two thousand, I think it's two thousand sixteen or two thousand eighteen. And um, they a group in the states from Harvard actually managed to code a GIF of a horse running into DNA, and then were able to decode it and reproduce this image. So. I just think that is incredible. So the idea with this in terms of energy um, saving is to you know all that data that we we want to keep, but you're not going to really going to look at it again. It's a bit like you know your old work or your university notes things so oh, I don't really want to throw it away, but I'm not really going to look at it again. What they're going to do in terms of this sort of information on a global scale is to turn that into DNA that's coding for this data and then store that because um, it stores at room temperature for thousands of years. So store it and then if you need to get at it, then you can read the DNA and get your data back. So it's to try and actually save energy. But um, yeah, I think that sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs>
0: It does. It certainly sounds like some crazy dystopian parallel universe. Um, Tariq, if I put the same question to yourself. So from your perspective of sustainability and environment, um, what kind of uh, impact do you see nanotechnology having in the next five years or so?
3: So in the UK, um, Boris Johnson in the middle of November announced a 10 point plan for a green recovery. And one of the things he put forward was this idea of creating four carbon capture hubs across the UK. Part of that is to help stimulate the economy, but a big part of that is to help meet our climate goals. The independent advisors to the UK government have said that it's impossible for us to reach our climate goals without carbon capture technology. So there are lots of different types of carbon capture technology. Some of them use bacteria to convert carbon dioxide that's released into the air into ethanol. Um, But there's also nanotechnology that's being used for that. So you can use tiny nanotubes to filter out carbon as it's emitted. And what could you do with that? Imagine you've got a steel mill out there and the steel mill is making, say, airplanes. So coming out of that factory, there's going to be carbon dioxide, of course, because they're burning fuels, whatever different processes are going on in there, they're all releasing carbon dioxide. If you're capturing that CO2, you could store it, you could put it in a barrel, um, put it underground, and that would be a win, you know, you're taking CO2 out of the air. Or if you could turn that all, all of that carbon into fuel, and then use that fuel to for the plane itself. So you're not just reducing emissions there, but you're going into a full circular economy. So there is a big climate ask at the moment. And I think over the next five years, there is a big opportunity for emerging technologies like nanotech to help us meet our climate goals.
0: Okay, and then following up on that then, do you see there being any hurdles or specific challenges to this type of nanotechnology coming to fruition?
3: Yeah, Terry? So I think- I think the big challenge is getting these solutions to scale and getting them to scale quickly. We've got to half emissions by 2030, as I said, and the technologies businesses and governments are going to be using to get us to that target need to be ready now. In the same way, we are going to need to get to net zero by 2050, and we need to think, you know, in terms of business cycles, you need to have these technologies, one or two business cycles ready in advance. So we need to think ahead, what is that basket of technologies that are going to be there for companies to invest in? When are they going to be ready? So we actually did some analysis on this recently, looking at the early stage, intern- early stage investment into what we're calling climate tech. we put out a report with some quite detailed stats on that. I think the interesting thing we found was just how fast this sector was growing. Um, I think everyone knows AI is really cool and exciting and a fast-growing thing. Climate tech is actually growing three times as fast as AI, albeit from a smaller start. But we're seeing lots of interest from investors and corporates already. I think the big challenges will be getting these technologies out of the lab in time, so that means getting enough funding getting enough government support early on. So whether you're working in R&D or academia you're getting support to develop and test these ideas so that they're ready for commercialization. I mean the second challenge is helping users of these technologies find out about them. There's so much going on, I mean I've learned so much just on this podcast already, things are moving so fast. It's great to see that investors and corporates are already actively thinking about this thing. But I think there's a big ask to make sure that we're all sharing this knowledge and the understanding of how technology, like nanotechnology, um, is shared in, in terms of how it can address climate change.
0: Katie, does that resonate with you then, do you think? So That some of the challenges that mentioned that, that Tariq mentioned there about that transition from the lab or from academia, both of which you're obviously involved in, to broader applications. Does that, does that resonate with you?
2: Yeah, completely. I think there's some really, really good points from Tariq because when you're first researching things um, in nanotechnology, things are expensive and you need you need the funding and you need to uh, be able to have that sort of injection of, of money to be able to actually do the work and actually see if these technologies are going to work and then once you have your proof of concept it's all about then trying to do it um, more efficiently and try and get the technology available for less money so it's really i think one of the big hurdles is actually trying to convince people to invest in that really early stage where it is risky but um but once you've got through that point you can bring the cost of things all the way down so in terms of uh, green nanotech and uh, and climate technology the initial cost will be quite expensive but the gains at the end of it I mean it's priceless if we can actually make these differences so um yeah I would completely agree with that um and and think that yeah go in for the uh early stage because the rewards that we could get from it later on would be will be fantastic
0: Absolutely. I mean, it certainly sounds so from some of the examples that both of you have provided today about how this type of nanotechnology can be applied in such a wide variety of ways, the majority of which I had no idea existed. Um, so based on this conversation, if our listeners wanted to do a bit more reading or a bit more research around nanotechnology, do you have any um, sources that you might want to recommend they, that they look into and might find useful? Um, Katie, I'll start with yourself.
2: So, if you want to get involved with some of the nitty gritty of the nanotech and are interested in actually how it works, then uh, Nature Nanotech is a great place, but it can be a little bit hard going sometimes. Um, and there are some good websites uh, that I actually find really interesting that just kind of give you the headlines of actually where nanotech is going. So, there's one I think called Popularscience.com um and there are uh, just typing things into google to be honest you get so much information but i would really recommend if there's anything that we've spoken about that you think oh that sounds kind of cool really look it up because i promise it is just as cool as it sounds and you'll feel great like learning more about it i mean if you're anything like me you'll enjoy it so i'd say that and um i sometimes post some things on social media so i do have twitter which is just caking underscore five and some science on instagram um at katie uh, dot science so yeah if you're interested in any of that then um i can give you a little bit of a nanotech fix awesome
0: thank you katie and Tariq. any recommendations from yourself
3: yeah i guess just to emphasize katie's point i i often just google some of these things and end up falling into a rabbit hole there is so much information out there if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty I think if you want to go a level up, then I might give a plug for our own website. So if you go on the Innovation for Earth website on the PwC site, we have a lot of reports on there about different applications of technology for good, including nanotechnology but also more broadly artificial intelligence, blockchain and so on. We've just put our report back in September on um, climate tech, as I mentioned earlier, the state of climate tech 2020, if you search that that has a lot of information on venture capital investment in climate tech over the past seven years. There's lots of interesting stats there on trends in investment, what the interesting areas are for investors, what the growing areas are, and so on. I would definitely recommend just searching these things, though, and seeing what's out there. There are are lots of examples I didn't get around to talking about today, but things like precision agriculture using nanotechnology in agriculture to apply fertilizer more efficiently and manage crops um, more effectively nanotechnology and data centers, nanotechnology and satellites. There's lots of really, really interesting examples out there. So just definitely get on the internet and search this.
1: Well, Tariq and Katie, thank you so much for those examples. Luis, shall we review what we have learned from our two wonderful guests this afternoon? From nanomaterials to digital DNA, there's definitely been a lot of discussion. I almost feel like my comic life is becoming reality, right? From aviation materials to net zero emission gains um, and the whole thought about how nanomaterials can absorb emissions from the air and convert it into fuel for air travel. There are definitely many interesting instances and examples in our real world these days.
0: Absolutely and some of the medical applications that Katie referred to I think are absolutely mind-boggling and really heartening actually to know that this type of cutting-edge research is happening. And well, hopefully our listeners enjoyed the discussion today as much as we have. And um, Thank you both so much to both Katie and to Tariq for joining us as part of this discussion. Um, and of course, to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of the A to Z of Tech podcast. And I hope that you'll be subscribing to make sure that you don't miss out on the next episode, which will be O for OSINT.